on the Dallas Opera Network. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it is America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week in Chalk Talk, just as summer baseball starts to heat up, a bullpen full of opera summer festival season steps up to the plate. We'll give you the lineups of each team and tell you which balls to keep your eyes on. Plus, in the two-minute drill, ARC is going to CAI, and Will Liverman is the next Beverly Sills. If you're watching on TDO, <laughs> make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You want to get full show on Stitcher and Spotify. You click follow. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, just hit the plus sign. Also, send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes. OperaBoxCore at gmail.com. Let us know what's on your mind. You're going to get an OBS beer coaster and an OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. Oliver Camacho, there he is. <laughs> there Ciao, he is. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what's happening? We found what's him. happening? Are we, are we talking about it. sports? What are we doing? <laughs> no, Matt yeah. Cummings. That's what I sound like when I talk about sports, too, Oliver. <laughs> Reston Williams. Hi. Uh, sport ball. Going Ashley fast in a circle. <laughs> right now, the sport is how many charges can you dispute with Bank of America for a freaking stolen debit card? Uh, but also, Drew Brees former quarterback of the Saints, has exited NBC as an NFL analyst after one year. Mm. Rumors say that he wants to play again, so he's pulling a Tom Brady. Listen, these men are my age. I need them to not think they can play in the NFL. Maybe they can, but those... I take... I take Boniva bone supplements. I can't even imagine what these <laughs> men's bodies have been through. Maybe think about just enjoying your 40s. I don't know why you would turn down that NBC money. Look, I was talking last <laughs> week on the podcast only show about the mediocrity that is Chicago sports right now. Here's the oh, thing. God, Even yeah. the Cincinnati Reds are able to be worse. The Cincinnati Reds over the weekend pitched a no-hitter and lost the baseball game to the Pittsburgh Pirates, actually, Matt. Hey, it hey. is the first time that's <laughs> happened Certainly how, in the 21st how century. How did that happen? Based on, based on balls, my friend. Based on balls. The pitcher Wild. pitched no-hitter and walked walked the bases loaded and then walked somebody <laughs> in. Balls can ruin a day. That is Ooh. a very Pittsburgh Pirates way to win a baseball <laughs> game, I have to say. <laughs> Let us talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Well, it's great to have a full house back on the OBS. We've got the whole team here. And it's getting warm here in the Midwest. Uh, We finally broke through winter and it landed right in the middle of summer. (laughs) Do not (laughs) stop. We we did skip a little bit. (laughs) Do not stop and go. (laughs) Just go right to summer. (laughs) Um, And it just made me think about we're entering uh, the, you know, the off-season season where uh, those companies that only are active uh, during the summer begin to uh, flourish. And I thought it'd be interesting to remind our listeners uh, what happens in America in the summer. There are some companies that um, we talk about all the time, but there are some companies that might not be on your radar, and we hope that you will gain a little bit of insight onto what's happening this summer in opera. And we thought it'd be interesting to start on the uh, East Coast and work our way towards California. So uh, we're going to divide this up. We're each going to take a couple of these, um, you know, summer league teams, starting with Opera North in New Hampshire. Absolutely. Opera North, where musical theater sings, but not exactly where websites are particularly helpful. Uh, so, <laughs> so Opera North is in its 40th anniversary season. They are based out of Lebanon, New Hampshire. They are noted as the region's oldest opera company. They have a summer fest. That's the name of their season, not to be confused with the Summerfest Rock Music Festival in Milwaukee. Uh, it runs throughout the July with two to four shows in a run. This is not a robust series of programming. Uh, Again, the website's not exactly going to give you a full roster of everybody that's going to be involved in things. I think you're going to be just there 
for the experience and not like the costume designer. So they do have some of the resident artists listed <laughs> on their site. There's no full cast list anywhere. Their social media presence isn't exactly in depth either, especially not in the way that we're seeing a lot of companies go where they're doing a lot of BTS stuff on TikTok and on Instagram. So I can't tell you too much about the creatives that are making the art, but there are some interesting things that are happening. So their signature concert that they do for Opera North is something called Carnival. It's aerialists and circus acts joining forces with opera artists and they create this like Ooh. jukebox opera circus variety show at wait for it, Blow Me Down Farm. <laughs> I waited for it and I was not disappointed. You sure weren't. And again, so the next show that they have, they have two other actual operas they're doing in addition to Carnival. So uh, so they have for Cozy Fantute, they have this boilerplate language on their site. It's going to be sung in English with English super titles. Uh, OTSL alum and Yale alum Greer Lyle is going to sing Fiordaligi. Uh, Manus and Opera Works alum Chloe San Antonio is singing Dorabella. Then they have an English, sorry, an Italian one with English super titles, which is Traviata. This one actually does look really interesting. It's got Brennan Blankenship, who's interesting and making a lot of really cool moves and sells voice courses on her website. It's so fun. Uh, she and Peter Laker in the leads for Traviata. In terms of cool things they're doing, maybe looking at some DEI initiatives, there's not really much to see of note there. Uh, but I do hear that New Hampshire is lovely in the summer. And who doesn't want to say that they've been to Blow Me Down Farm? <laughs> I want to hear you say it at least four more times this episode. You will. So. You'll, I'll find a way. So then we cross over to upstate New York for opera Saratoga. Uh, they have events starting like Labor, I mean, uh, Memorial Day weekend, but um, their real season begins in July. Formerly Lake George Opera, founded in 1962, they serve the Saratora, Saratoga Springs area in New York and welcome about 25,000 people annually. And they're across a number of venues in that region. Uh, the venues which have the fully staged operas are in Saratoga, Saratoga Springs. I can't say that word, obviously. Albany and <laughs> Schenectady. Uh, part of their history, uh, they have always emphasized American composers and modern operas. And more than a third of their productions to date have been by American composers. And so mm. far, they've had 10 premieres. As of 2014, Lawrence Edelson has been their artistic director and general director. Lawrence uh, has enjoyed a career as both a ballet dancer and an opera singer. He studied voice and musicology and dance. He has performed with the Boston Ballet and Ballet West and uh, some ballet company in Columbus. Uh, he has choreographed ballets and um, now he stage directs opera. Uh, he is the founder of American Lyric Theater, another company that develops composers and librettists. And it wouldn't be a stretch to say that there is some cross-pollination between American Lyric Theater and the uh, talent that they showcase in Saratoga. This year, they're doing Two Barbers, Sweeney Todd, which will star Craig <laughs> Callcloth, and the Rossini Opera Barber Seville, which will star Sydney Outlaw. Uh, and the new work they're offering is a 2018 opera called Sky on Swings, which addresses the issues of Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Uh, composer Lembit Beecher and librettist Hannah Moscovich, starring two singers that I adore, contralto Meredith Arwady and mezzo-soprano Phyllis oh, Pancella. And it'll be conducted by Emily Centuria with Lawrence Edelson himself stage directing. And I will add that... Um, Saratoga does have a young artist program, a robust one, and their Barbersville will be staged by an alumna of that program, Eve Summer. We now go to a little bit more West here. I got to look at this list, <laughs> passing it off uh, to Weston for Chautauqua. Yeah, Chautauqua is a, is a company that I feel like gets overlooked a lot when you're talking about summer festivals, but it's got a lot of history, actually. It's the uh, old, North America's oldest continually operating summer opera company, which I did not know before I started researching this. Uh, it was founded back in 1929 as part of the Chautauqua in New York. Um, now, it's kind of hard to describe what the brand of this is if you don't <laughs> aren't familiar with the Chautauqua system. Uh, it, it, Chautauquas were very popular around the turn of the century. Um, they 
They were originally uh, a religious sort of gathering, which morphed into like these like uh, learning opportunities for talking about philosophy, about history, lots of famous speakers going through. They were once a fairly influential part of the American landscape. Now, not so much. There's a couple left. Um, Chautauqua in New York, which is where this one is, is the most active one currently. Um, but uh, because it's all about this sort of educational aspect of it, th- you have a, this is a great place to see uh, up and comers you don't necessarily know a lot about. And uh, their general director and uh, artistic director is Stephen Osgood, who is very much a new music guy. Um, who So he's really got the uh, the credits for like bringing new stuff to the surface. He premiered, you know, for example, David T. Little and Royce Vavrek's JFK, um, Mazzoli's Breaking the Waves, um, and As One, of course. Um, and this year they're doing uh, Tosca, which, you know, is Tosca, but still uh, <laughs> um, they're going to it's going to be having uh, Elaine Alvarez Cavaradossi. Um, uh, Alan Held is going to be in it. Uh, and uh, the, the next opera. By the way, Elaine Alvarez will be singing Tosca, not Cavaradossi. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, I, I completely misread. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Uh, <laughs> but I you kept going. <laughs> I, I, I was I was feeling it. You know, it's been one of those <laughs> days. Folks. You know, it's like people's, maybe people's credit like... cards are getting stolen. You know, it's a whole thing. Maybe that's Chautauqua's actual thing. Like they want to put like gender binary, mess it up. You know, like it's all about <laughs> just like, your just mind. Like, just like, yeah, exactly. Change I would I would support that. Certainly. The, the fuck binary yeah uh, uh, this one, uh, the next opera they're doing is The Mother of Us All, which is, of course, Virgil Thompson and Gertrude Stein's opera, yes! which, uh, which is a really neat little opera, very, um, um, capital A American opera about, uh, the life of Susan B. Anthony. Um, it is in this very idiomatic style, which, uh, kind of feels to me like you're listening to the soundtrack of a Ken Burns documentary. Not necessarily in a bad way, but, uh, I think it's always interesting when someone programs this. Uh, I think the highlight of the season for me, however is going to be Thumbprint which is the uh, Kamala Sankaram with librettist Susan Yankowitz uh, which is a 2014 opera based on real life women's rights activist Mukhtar Mai uh, Sankaram combines Hindustani music and European opera to tell the story and there's some nice representation in the cast lots of young singers of uh, of that sort of background uh, Kristen Roach is going to conduct that one uh, Omar Ben Sieda is going to be directing and Mukhtar Mai is going to be played by Samir Aslam, and that's one I think would be really cool to go out and see. Uh, but uh, Chautauqua is, of course, kind of small potatoes <laughs> compared to a lot of these companies. So I'm gonna, with that said, I'm going to move it over to George, who I believe has a slightly heavier weight season to talk about. Well, I don't know if this is, CHQ is is lightweight <laughs> exactly. If you're, if you're listening from in the Midwest and you know the Bayview Association, which is up near Petoskey, Michigan, that is the Midwest equivalent of Chautauqua. <laughs> we kind of, if we drove from Saratoga to Chautauqua, actually, we would have skipped mine, which is Glimmerglass in Cooperstown, New York. First and foremost, Cooperstown, of course, home of the Baseball Hall of Fame, and that's where everyone who oh, gets yeah. inducted into the HOF happens in Cooperstown. Run by Francesca Zambella, who's also the artistic director at Washington National Opera, Joseph Culinary is the music director. And what I think is perhaps the most important of all is that Eric Owens is currently their artistic advisor. Mm. This is a trend which quite rightly has taken place over really the last couple of years, which is to bring on artistic advisors, often people of color, into very present roles within opera houses to really try and make that change happen from within the organization outwards. And Eric Owens doing a good job of that at Glimmerglass. What I find interesting about Glimmerglass's programming this year, this coming season, is not necessarily the operas. Trovatore, great. Magic Flute, great. But honestly, because Francesca Zabello has such a deep connection to musical theater and to song mm-hmm. cycles and concerts, and there's a lot of that on the festival this year. A journey around the globe through popular music, called To the World with Isabel Leonard and Bill Burden. Wow. Uh, a piece, uh, adaptation of Offenbach's La Pericole called Songbird. And then a Richard Wagner selection series called Gods and Mortals, including, of course, Ring Cycle, Tannhäuser, as well as lesser known works like Die the Fairies. Oh, yes. Hey, okay. Who's next? 
Well, next you'll next you'll hop onto the Acela and and ride from scenic <laughs> New York down <laughs> to the north to the uh, the suburbs of Washington D.C. and that is where you will find the one and only Wolf Trap Opera, uh, which is tucked in the Wolf Trap National Park. Uh, it is a little bit more of a loosey goosey when it comes to what they do year to year because they are very famous for basing the repertoire that they do a around the people that they hire to come sing for them. That mm, is a big right. branding point for Wolf Trap Opera. They look for emerging artists, both through uh, through, through auditions and through managed singers, and uh, who are on their way up and will pick repertoire that really shows them off and present it in a, a relaxed setting. With a, There's a lot of focus on nature being in the national park, in the park, and it's it's quite rustic and generally really high quality. And, and outdoors. More, and, and outdoors. More or less standard rep. Um, it is primarily a summer residency program for these young professionals, uh, uh, and, and it's one of the most exclusive, if not the most exclusive, young artist programs on the circuit. Uh, most of these singers having a significant experience already by the time they get to Wolf Trap. Uh, the team, the, the, the small but mighty year round team there is currently read, led by Leanne Misluski, who took over in 2018 from Kim Whitman, who ran the program for 22 years and is famous among the singer community for her blog and particularly her list of how often each audition <laughs> aria gets offered yes. on <laughs> the circuit so that everyone can crunch, talk about crunching some numbers. So that really started with Kim Whitman. Yeah, it did. Uh, it did. This year, this year's season uh, features the little performed in America Weber opera Die Freischütz, uh, conducted uh, by friend of the show Lydia Jankowskaya, uh, and it also features La Traviata and Carlisle Floyd's Susanna, uh, which is starring ooh. Ryan Opera Center alumna and Toomey in Yay, the title okay. role of Susanna. Which, uh, if you're in the DC area, you should definitely check that out because that is quite a sing and quite a voice. And they're also they have also one of the most famous death by arias that they broadcast as a concert, um, which is something that a lot of these young artist programs have. Like, right, you got to sing for everybody, and it's like you, super intimidating. You get up, and, they, and here's <laughs> your here's your first impression. I hope you impress everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a quick detour to Charleston, South Carolina. For uh, a festival that started in 1977, meant to be a companion to Italy's Festival of Two Worlds in Spoleto. It's the Spoleto Festival, um, kicking off the summer season. Uh, they are emphasizing always things that are new and mentoring young talent. Started by two gays, Giancarlo Benotti and Christopher Keane. <laughs> um, their season is very short. And uh, their new opera is going to be Michael Abel's and Rhiannon Giddens's Omar, which is an opera about uh, slavery. Oh, yes. uh, they are doing The Backwards Bohem of Yuval Sharon. And friend of the show, Karim Suleiman, has his own one-man deal, one-man show uh, called um, – oh, God, what is it called? It's called something, but it's about Baroque operas. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Okay, really, really giving yeah. our audience that top yeah, shelf. It's called, yeah, that, it's called, that's the good stuff. It's called Unholy Wars, uh, drawing from mm. the European uh, Baroque canon from Monteverdi to Handel and more. There'll be some dancing. Kareem Suleiman is super creative and it'll be oh, yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, awesome. So a little bit of Spoleto for you. Uh, moving on, uh, continuing to go west, we now take you to, where's this list? It's over to... It's over to me uh, in Cincinnati, actually, uh, Oliver, go, yeah. and then I'm going to throw it back to you, and then you're going to throw it back to me. So a little bit of Oliver okay. and George show here. So Cincinnati Aww. Opera, this is one the of originals. those opera houses which started with a year-round festival and over the last few years, probably pre-pandemic, certainly moved to a summer festival only. There's other opera houses out there that have done the same thing. Christopher Milligan, the general director, Evans Miragayas, the artistic director, and again, in that critical artistic advisor position, Bass Morris Robinson. The Summer Festival is a strange mix of two world premieres, one called Castor and Patience by Gregory Spears, who wrote Fellow Travelers oh, yes, yes. in Paul's Case, along with two standard rep pieces, La Boheme and Aida. And then lastly, and this touches a a note in my heart of the Pirates of Penzance, that classic <laughs> I can feel I, Oliver tensing up through the yes, screen, yes, 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 having, knowing it. he's having to listen 
to you talk yes. about Gilbert and Sullivan again. Uh, Oliver started breathing through his mouth. The <laughs> what I love, I think, most of all about Cincinnati <laughs> Cincinnati Opera is its performance venue. Basically, looks like this enormous castle that would not be out of place anywhere <clears throat> in Germany. It's a great venue. I I love the Cincinnati uh, house. It's 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 a neat place. Oliver, we're but halfway it- through. Bring it back to Chicago. So this is one of our hometown teens that we've talked about before. It's Ravinia Festival, which is actually one of those festivals that tries to do everything and tries to be the festival for everyone. But to be honest with you, it's in the northern suburbs of Chicago. It's sort of, you know, a very upper uh, class white part of the Chicagoland area. And they've struggled with getting people to come in from the city Especially, well, you got to get on the metro, and the metro is garbage, as we all know yeah. here in it Chicago. To, I mean, it, it used to be a really popular venue for classical music, but it's gone through a lot of leadership changes, and some of the previous leaders began to de-emphasize the classical in favor of pop acts. And when I say pop acts, I mean acts that were famous, like in the seventies and eighties, like the band Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and to add to that, this year one of the ones that stands out to me is. Pitbull. Pitbull is playing Highland <laughs> Park, Illinois with Just special in time. guest with special guest Iggy Azalea. Now tell me about the opera they're doing out there. So they have a new um leader there, a new CEO. His name is Jeffrey Hayden. And Jeffrey Hayden has proven experience uh with organizations like the Ojai Festival and Caramore Festival. So he knows about an Aspen, for example. So he knows a lot about uh, classical music, and I hope that it's going to represent a change there. One of the things that they do, which I love, is the, is the Steens Music Institute, which has been an incubator for art song, and some great names have come through that festival, through that, that part of the festival, like Nadine Sierra, Misha Brugger's Gosman, Amanda Forsyth. Um, Azalea, Pitbull. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but James Conlon, <laughs> uh, who is one of the regular conductors there, I think he's the, the chief conductor. I think he's there. in, re- or in yeah. residence or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, he started years ago, uh, the Mozart opera series. And then, of course, COVID happened and we couldn't continue with that. But we've already seen with his, um, series of concert versions of Mozart operas, um, Marriage of Figaro with Lizette Oropesa and Eileen Perez, uh, Ida Mineo with, um, was it um, Susanna Phillips singing Ilia? I forget mm. who was Ilimineo, mm-hmm. but it was, it was Richard Croft, I think it was. This year, we get two more operas added to the series. We get Don Giovanni starring friend of the show, Lucas Meacham, and uh, Rachel Willis Sorensen as Donna Anna, and La Clemenza di Tito, which will star Janai Brugger as Servilia, and um, Emily, Emily D'Angelo, it's always Mozart, and Emily D'Angelo as Sesto. And Emily D'Angelo did go through the Steens program, and so did Janai Brugger. So it's a homecoming for both of those artists. Uh, those operas run back-to-back uh, four days in August, two Don Giovanni's and two Clemenza's. So meet me in August. <laughs> Moving back to George for OTSL. Opera Theater of St. Louis kind of has a soft spot in my heart ever since I went there in the summer of 2019 for the Opera America conference. Drink. I think it's always been a summer festival this one uh andrew jorgensen the current general director friend of the show yes friend of the show he came from washington national opera protege of francesca zambella he was 34 when he took over otsl which i think is absolutely insane and he absolutely guided it through the pandemic james robinson the artistic director one of the best directors in this country right now Patricia Reset, not the artistic advisor so much as the one who runs the Young Artist Program, and Daniela Candelari, the principal conductor. You've got these big tents, those green and white striped tents, where the cast and crew typically have a meal with the audience after the performance, this great sense of camaraderie. This theater also has a really deep connection to St. Louis and the city Mm -hmm. itself and the Mm -hmm. people itself as well. The the season this summer is, is, again, it's sort of like Cincinnati Split, where you've got Carmen and Magic Flute uh, pitched against Awakenings, which is an opera about Oliver Sacks, and then Harvey Milk, uh, which is not done that often, also part of the delightful OTSL festival this summer. Matt, over to you. 
Yeah, continuing with the world's uh, most musical game of Ticket to Ride, uh, we will hop on (laughs) over to Des Moines Metropolitan Opera, DMMO as it's known, uh, which which was founded by the former artistic director Robert Larson, who you might know if you've ever learned an aria out of one of those books. (laughs) Um, The current general and artistic director is Michael Eagle, who's been there since 2013 and has been and was at the company for another 20 years prior to becoming to ascending to the leadership. Uh, Eagle's a strong advocate for the company and uh, launched an initiative when he took over to present at least one new work to the repertoire every season. That may or may not be a premiere, but it's just adding something to a, a work that has never been done at the company before. Um, they are, they really focus on being balanced and down to earth and trying to operate as much as a, as a high quality regional company as possible. They're, there's a real focus on being a generalist, even the and that includes a focus on 20th century and contemporary work, uh, but a strong mix of of programming. And uh, this year's opera that has never been done at the company before is Porgy and Bess, which is being mm. produced with a really truly stacked cast of black singers, um, including Leah Hawkins as Serena, Michelle Johnson as Bess, Kevin Dees as Porgy, um, and featuring Iowa native Simon Estes in a small role as the lawyer. And he's also uh, being, he's a consulting producer on the production. Um, That's going to be directed by Taswell Thompson, who Mm. uh, Mm. recently won acclaim for his opera Blue with uh, Janine Tesori. Um, And it's going to be conducted by Michael Ellis Ingram. But you know, doing Porgy and Bess in 2022 is not the least complicated thing ever. It is a work that has um, <laughs> not that that pieces of it have really not aged well. That were it, they were progressive at the time. You know, it's done was written by two white Jewish men and features an all black cast speaking largely in dialect and uh, really th- shows problems through not the most progressive lens. But they are partnering that with. Um, a series of events, a, a lecture and talk back about the difficulties of presenting Porgy and Bess today and mm. conversations about, you know, what that means for cultural representation and the marginalization of artists of color, uh, what it's like to do the show today and how the opera community can, you know, grow and become a little bit more inclusive. Their season this year also includes Britain's Midsummer Night's Dream featuring John Holiday wow. as wow. Oberon. Great, great mm, choice there. Mm. Very exciting. Uh, and the world premiere of a new opera by Kristen Kuster and Mark Campbell, the hardest working man in show business, called A Thousand <laughs> Acres, which is a modern retelling of King Lear set in Iowa in the 1970s. Wow. Uh, and that oh, is going to be directed by Christine McIntyre. So really a big, exciting season at, at Des Moines great this season. year. They're, they're swinging for the fences, and we wish them all the best. Now going over to Central City. Where is Central City? near Denver. Ah, it's in Colorado. Yes. Okay. There's gold in them their hills as well <laughs> as opera. <laughs> no, it is uh it's about 35-ish miles outside of Denver. Uh so Central City Opera is another one of those especially for folks in the Midwest in the singer community. It's one of those places that you apply for when you're in the end of your school and it's just something that you do. Uh so it is Uh, It's been operating since 1932. It is the fifth oldest professional opera company in the U.S. And it has a brand new CEO with ties to Opera North. Uh, Pamela Pantos was (laughs) named the new president and CEO for Central City in February of this year. She is joining artistic director Pat Pierce, who has been with the company for 25 years and is going to continue to run the creative side as the first part of their five-year strategic plan. They're doing... I wouldn't call it a restructure, but there's a tightening and a shifting of responsibilities at Central City, which I think now is the time to do it. I think post-pandemic, now is when you start those restructures that you've been hoping to do for a while. And they're doing just that by bringing in Pamela Pantos, who already has had demonstrated success in other companies. This is another one of those July festival seasons. The amount of performances of each of these pieces is very unbalanced, I guess I'll say. Um, The most performed in their season across the month of July is going to be Light in the Piazza. Uh, that's going to star Rebecca Kane, and who is a she's kind of a crossover. About half her career is in Broadway, about half her career is in opera. And recent Lyric and Dallas opera alum Diana Newman. Uh, you're going to get 12 chances to see that in their season. You will get 11 chances to see their next opera, which is Deflator Mouse. Chicago, excuse me. Chicago folks might know Kira Dale's Desora, who's going to be playing Prince Orlovsky. Uh, hey, 
Haley Clark is back at Central City. She was there in 2017. She's back after a long stint in Germany to sing Rosalinda. There is a person of color in this cast. So yay, progress. <laughs> uh, the final show in their season uh, is To Remain because everybody's doing To Remain these days. It's mm. And it deserves it. It's a wonderful piece. They're doing this not in, in the big house where they usually do stuff. They're doing it at the Martin Foundry. Um, Chicago folks will recognize Sean Stanton, who is going to be singing Manfred. This has two conductors. Uh, the guys' names are Brandon Eldridge and John Barrel, and Dan Wallace Miller is going to be conducting this. Um, with regards to things like DEI initiatives, I appreciate the programming of Two Remain. Seems to have the most visibly diverse casting, to be fair. I don't know the backgrounds of everybody within all of the casting at Central City, but just looking at headshots on a page, it looks to be the one that is the most diverse. Uh, there seems to be a little bit less in the two mainstream shows. I will say the festival artist Erin Robinson, uh, who does all of the show artwork, she's a woman of color and she did absolutely beautiful pieces for each of the three shows. Weston. Where are we going next? Well, uh, I, I grabbed this one pretty quick because uh, I wanted to talk about Santa Fe so that they would offer me free tickets instead of Oliver <laughs> like last time. And uh, I highly recommend anyone who wants to, if you've never been to Santa Fe, go back and listen to like that chunk of like five episodes we did in a row where all we did was talk to uh, people associated with Santa Fe. It was a great little block. Mm, um uh, Santa Fe is just we one could of do those, this for like... you too, Opera Companies of America. <laughs> yeah, hey, just give hey, us free tickets. Hey, Vienna. <laughs> uh, we we speak a little bit of Deutsch Hello. here. Hello, yeah, yes. Festival. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, Santa Fe is one of those iconic locations. It's out in the middle of the desert. It's completely open air. Really, the desert becomes part of the backdrop to these operas. Um, but I think the main draw is just like. Uh, if I had to like summarize their brand in one word, I'd, I'd say confidence. You know, I feel like a lot of opera companies and uh, you, even summer festivals are, are all, all, you know, hemming and hawing about what they can do. There, there's none of that with Santa Fe. They've really got a big roster they can pull up from. They've got classics, uh, classic rep. They've got new stuff and they've got these unbelievable casts most of the time that are really phenomenal. Uh, the general director is Robert Maya, who got his current position in 2018. And the music director is Harry Bickett, which is interesting because mm -hmm. he is a Baroque and classical guy mostly, which is not really the rep that uh, Santa Fe is known for. But obviously he's been there for a, a while. He knows what he's doing at this point. Uh, so their season, I mean, they're doing Carmen, which we've all seen before, but have you seen it with this cast? We've got Isabel Leonard as Carmen, uh, Brian Heimel, Michael Fabiano switching off as Don Jose, uh, <clears throat> uh, Michael Sumuel as Escamillo. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a great, like, uh, it's a great, uh, piece, uh, that I think will be very, uh, interesting to see in that context. It's, you know, it's something to bring in, you know, everyone who just wants to see Carmen again, but it's going to be at a really high level. Same, I think, for Barbara of Seville. We've got Emily Fons as Rosina, Jack Swanson as Amoviva, Kevin Burdett as Bartolo, and Don Basilia will be a switch between Nicholas Newton and Ryan Speedo Green, which will be fun. Um, Stephen didn't Barlow say who Figaro is singing. Oh, uh, did I write it down? Oh, no, I didn't write it down. Who's right? Who, we'll not find a, out later. Not important. Lucas It'll Meacham be a surprise for anyone who goes. <laughs> Loki Meacham. Oh, Loki. At least I didn't say uh, Cavaradossi was singing anything. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the next opera up is Falstaff. And let me tell you, it takes a, a, a gutsy company to do late Verity well, I think. Uh, we've got friend of the show, Quinn Kelsey, as Falstaff, uh, which is going to be yes. great. But I'm sorry, George, the director is going to be David McVicker. Oh, marvelous. Uh, That's <laughs> Uh, the reason I want to go to this season this year, um, hint, hint, free tickets, uh, is going to be the Tristan and Isolde. we got Simon O'Neill as Tristan, Tamara Wilson as Isolde, Jamie wow. Barton Jeez. as uh, Bragena, Eric mm, Owens mm. and Daniel Lay as King Mark. I mean, like, uh, it's it's going to be Too bad they great. can't attract any good names. I know. Yeah. These, these casts are awesome. Uh, the other highlight of the season is, of course, going to be uh, M. Butterfly by composer and friend of the show, Huang Ro, and librettist Jenny, uh, David Henry Huang. Uh, obviously, a lot of hype around this uh, world premiere. Uh, the, bro uh, the Broadway show was 
critically acclaimed, and this is the opera version of that. Um, and it's especially poignant, I think, considering the history of the opera Ma Madama Butterfly with Santa Fe, because that was actually the first opera they ever did. And uh, they had a bit of tradition whenever they opened a new space, they would do Madama Butterfly in it. So really bringing this, uh, this new sort of take on the story is going to be, I think, a really important as well as interesting it's also going to be starring kangming justin kim which i mean i mean I, 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 what a great singer i'm so excited about those two and santa fe send me those tickets just dm me i'll be there <laughs> <laughs> who's next we're going down to uh san francisco which has uh a what do you call the type of season they're a stagione right yeah so san yeah, francisco yeah. opera is coming up on their centennial season, the 2223 wow. season. But before we go, before we launch into the season proper, they do have a summer festival season that they do that is slightly separate. And this year, uh, that festival season features uh, a little opera that you probably haven't heard of called Don Giovanni. Mm. That's going to be directed <laughs> by Michael Cavanaugh and conducted by Bertrand de Billy. And the cast includes Etienne Dupuis, Luca Pizzaroni, mm. Adele mm. Zaharia, Carmen Donatazio, friend of the show Solomon Howard will be singing a most oh, yeah. imposing commendatory opera. So. But the uh, <laughs> the big hit from this summer is the world premiere uh, of uh, Bright Sheng and David Henry Huang is opera Dream of the Red Chamber, a, re a repeat mm. offender here. Um, and that is adapted by from the 18th century Chinese novel, considered one of the four great classical novels of Chinese literature about love, lust, and political intrigue in imperial oh. China. Uh, and that is going to be uh, presented alongside the the number one draft pick, Unsun Kim's conducting of a Verdi concert to celebrate <laughs> uh, her, her path through the opera world. Uh, and and that's to commemorate partially the first performances of of classical music that she conducted in the United States, uh, which were the Verdi Requiem and La Traviata at L.A. Opera. Uh, the team at San Francisco Opera, we got heavy hitters. I already mentioned Maestro Kim, who was appointed as the music director in December of 2019, uh, which feels like a decade ago, but was really only two and a half <laughs> years ago. She's oh, the God. fourth music director <laughs> in the history of the company, a very in-demand and highly skilled Korean conductor who's made a number of really high-profile debuts recently, including at the Metropolitan Opera, WNO, and Houston. Uh, and she is serving alongside the general director, Matthew Schilvok, uh, a Brit for George with experience in both music and nonprofit <laughs> administration, who was a protege of the previous general director, David Gockley, and took over for him in 2016 upon his departure um and the 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 new opera premiering the summer the the dream of the red chamber was a big initiative of his uh san francisco opera as you could probably guess is in san francisco and so they have devoted themselves <laughs> pretty and they've they've really gone all in on trying to uh lead the pack when it comes to major american companies doing dei initiatives uh they are really trying to present themselves as a dynamic, innovative company that's trying to meet audiences on their own terms, develop connections with the community, continuing to like reach out to new audiences by taking opera off of the stage of the War Memorial Re uh, Opera House. Their recent production of Fidelio included an art exhibit involving art by incarcerated artists mm, to try I to give new... Uh, as you may recall, we talked on the show a little bit, that, but to just, you know, ask the audience to reconsider the meaning of freedom today and make that a little bit more relevant and a little bit more immediate. Uh, they are, they're, they're, they're uh, talking about swinging for the fences. This is the, depending on who you're talking about, the second or third largest opera company in the United States mm -hmm. after the Metropolitan Opera. They're, you know, head and shoulders in terms of budget uh, above most of the other opera <laughs> companies that we've been talking about this tonight uh but they are really trying to go into their centennial season with a lot of momentum and we we wish the best for them and if we think of america as the center of the world we are now at the edge of the world uh with long beach <laughs> opera which doesn't have a defined season but they do have some some summer activity ashley Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's Long Beach Opera, what I like to call Return of the Dara. Uh, <laughs> like, 
Like one of your favorite opera podcast hosts, Long Beach Opera seems to be thriving in its 40s. Uh, It was founded in 1979, (laughs) and the Long Beach Opera is the oldest operatic producer company in the metropolitan LA and Orange County region. Friend of the show, Jenny Rivera, is now joined by the ever-present on this show and brand new Long Beach Opera artistic director, James Dara, Q crossfade of his headshot, uh, presenting a May and June season that, and this is a direct quote from their website, seeks to catalyze the issues of our time through the lens of art, embrace alternative leadership models that value diversity and inclusion. Now we're talking. Uh, So when we look at the things that are in what they're calling their 2022 season, it is sort of in the center of the year. They don't define it like Oliver said as a summer festival, but Mm. that's kind of where it's laid out. Uh, So the two major events, the operatic events that are there in May, you're going to see Handel's Justino. So James Dara is breaking apart the score alongside conductor Chris Roundtree and a new composer, Shelley Washington, uh, and the show is going to be performed with, quote, both authentic Baroque specialists, as well as contemporary musical and dramatic updates. The actions of the scene will move amongst the audience to different parts of the location and will be live filmed to create a movie within an opera that is playing at all times. So, so basically, Simon Stone's Lucia di Lammermoor. I'll or take that it. Of, you know what? That part of Lulu where there's a movie. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Matt. That was for Western. Listen, we're contractually obligated to always praise James Dara uh, because yeah, he continues to show I was just worried he up. wasn't going to have any work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? I know. Poor guy. Poor guy. <laughs> uh, this does have a very interesting and diverse cast. It includes Luke Elmer, Anna Schubert, Orson Van Gay, and Marlena Owens. So once we wrap out those performances, I think there are three of them in May, we move on to June and the return of Anthony Davis's Central Park 5 to Long Beach Opera. Oh, so, yeah. Yes, exactly. So Long Beach actually premiered Central Park 5, and then it went on to win the Pulitzer in 2020. Uh, The opera returns to the stage in a new presentation that's going to be conducted by Anthony Parther. Much of the premiere cast returns. You're going to see faces like Bernard Holcomb. Orson Van Gay is also in this one. William Powell, Cedric Berry, Ashley Fatualia. It's going to be a really lovely return. Uh, The next two things are not operas. The first one is just called Presentation TBA because they know something's happening, but they're not sure what they're doing yet. So the planning of this is still in progress. They're going to be updating that and putting out ticketing availability soon. And then finally, they're going to close out with a film festival. The inaugural Long Beach Film Festivals is going to feature a unique selection of operatic works made specifically for the medium of film. Festival will run for two full days and will include film screenings, live performances, his panel discussions and local business and restaurant collaborations throughout the weekend. Uh, I assume that is going to be in July. So again, sort of wrapping out what we would consider sort of a summer season. Uh, in terms of DEI and progressive initiatives, uh, see above. They're breaking apart a handle opera with a diverse cast. They're bringing back Central Park 5. This is for me one of the more exciting seasons that's going to be happening. And that is it. Is there anything else? (laughs) There's a bunch of minor leagues that we didn't talk about, um, you know, like Pacific Opera Project and um, Mm -hmm. Opera, oh, in in series operas doing something this summer. But we're just talking about, yeah, the teams that you need to know about. (gasps) (gasps) Oops. That segment was about as long as a baseball game. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in playoff land this week. (laughs) Marinsky Theater General Director Masitslav Pentkovsky, excuse me, has taken a risk by speaking out against the war in Ukraine. I repeat, Marinsky Theater director speaks out against the war in Ukraine. In a Facebook post, he said, quote, as a stage director of the anti-war operas The Diary of Anne Frank and Burundi Bar at the Marinsky, I've always believed in their humanitarian message. However, this year, all my thoughts are only about peace. Jonas Kaufman has expressed concern for the future of opera, saying, quote, the pandemic has been an existential crisis. We have to do something. In the golden times before the pandemic, we didn't pay attention to entertaining people. It was more about aiming to be as outstanding, as extravagant, as on the edge as possible within this art form. And I said back then, and I'll say it again, I think it's necessary that there has to be an understanding that we do it for the people 
said the German tenor as he boarded his private jet. The Ryan Opera Center has announced its 2022-23 ensemble. Joining the roster are sopranos Catherine Henry and Lindsay Reynolds, tenors Ryan Capozzo and Alejandro Luelanos, baritones Loreano Quant and Ian Rucker, and basses Ron Dukes and William T- Clay Thompson. The program is also expanding to include two new positions. A stage director role will be filled by Luther H. Lewis III, while Tess Naval takes on the stage manager position. Lyric Opera of Chicago says this is the most diverse ensemble in Ryan Center's history, with 10 of the 16 members identifying as BIPOC. Friend of the show, baritone Will Liverman, has been named as the recipient of the Mets 2022 Beverly Sills Artist Award. The prize annually bestows $50,000 to a gifted young singer with a rising career at the Met. Previous winners include Nathan Gunn, Joyce DiDonato, Matthew Polizzani, Isabel Leonard, Eileen Perez, and Jamie Barton. In other awards news, soprano Amanda Sheriff placed first in the Kurt Weil Foundation's 24th annual Latte Lenya competition, claiming the $20,000 prize. Stage director Klaus Gut has rejected the Golden Mask Award at the Bolshoi Theater. Good was awarded Best Director for his production of Strauss's Zalame, but he said he could not accept the award due to Russia's involvement in the war in Ukraine, which he has condemned. After Gut declined the award, the jury chose not to give a Best Director prize at all. Bloomberg News reports that Oxford University has offered a fellowship in Egyptian studies to friend of the show, Anthony Roth Costanzo. He has been singing the title role in Philip Glass's Akhenaten since 2016, and the university was impressed by the seriousness of his studies in the period. So serious. An auction of bric-a-brac from the estate of late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has raised over $800,000 for Washington National Opera, 10 times the amount expected. A terracotta Pablo Picasso jug sold for $25,000. A Picasso plate for $22,500. A Joseph Albers print that hung in her bedroom fetched $27,500. A silver tea set went for $5,000. Ashley's panicked waving of $5 from outside the auction house was sadly unnoticed. (laughs) So sorry, Ashley. Red card alert! Boston Lyric Opera has canceled a performance of Terrence Blanchard's Champion due to a number of COVID-19 cases in the company. The final two performances at this point are expected to go on. In trade news, Los Angeles Opera has announced that Jeremy Frank is its new chorus director. Frank has served as an associate chorus director, assistant conductor, and faculty member with the Domingo Colburn Stein Young Artist Program. He's also collaborated with such organizations as Wolf Trap, Seattle, Utah, Opernfestspiele St. Margareten, and now I get to name drop and say I know him. Congratulations, friend. Take that, George, and everybody drink. <laughs> Hilariously, Jeremy Frank and I were at Wolf Trap together. Drink! Announced that the general and artistic director Lawrence Edelson at Opera Saratoga <gasps> will step down at the end of 2022. We just talked about him, the curse of the OBS. He's going to join the University of Houston <laughs> faculty. Uh, he will continue his role as artistic and general director of American Lyric Theater. The Berlin State Opera has named Elizabeth Sabotka as the company's new artistic director, Intendantin auf Deutsch, starting September 2024. She will succeed Matthias Schultz, who will take over Zurich Opera House. Sabotka is also artistic director of the Bregenz Festival. On the disabled list, the Metropolitan Opera has announced that Yusuf Ivazov, husband of the band Anna Trebko, will not be singing Rodolfo in next week's revival of La Boheme due to illness. Three replacements have been called in, Matthew Polanzani, Stephen Costello, and Russell Thomas. And, breaking news, as of this taping, Christian Van Horn will replace bass Matthew Rose in the role of Raimondo in the Mets' new production of Lucia de Lammermoor. Exit stage right. Spanish mezzo-soprano Teresa Berganza has died at 87. Berganza achieved stardom in her 20s with her performances of Mozart and Rossini. She made her European debut as Dorabella at Aison Provence in 1957 and enjoyed a career that spanned four decades. A deft actress and an immaculate exponent of florid music, Berganza garnered acclaim in Baroque operas as well as in the role of Carmen. And on this day, May 16th in 1661, Jean-Baptiste Lully took the position of King's Master of Music in France. In 1792, Teatro La Fenice opened in Venice. 
with a new opera called I Giuoki d'Argrigento by Giovanni Paisiello, which starred Castrato Gaspero Pacchierotti. Fenice became the site of many famous operatic premieres of the Belcanto period. In 1829, Vincenzo Bellini's Zaira premiered in Parma. In 1851, Daniel Aubert's Zeline ou la Corbe d'Orange premiered in France. Also in France, in 1857, was the first performance of Jacques Offenbach's Vent du Soir. In 1861, French tenor Albert Alvarez was born. He received a performance fee that was comp- that was favorably compared to Enrico Caruso's, actually $600 more per performance than Enrico Caruso. In 1868, Bedrick Smetana's opera Dalibor premiered in Prague with the composer conducting. In 1889, Jules Massenet's Esclarmonde premiered in Paris again. In 1902, Polish tenor Jan Kipura was born in Poland because he was Polish. <laughs> in, 1928, <laughs> in 1928, Ildebrando Pizzetti's Fra Gerardo, an opera that Weston knows and loves very well, premiered in Milan with the composer conducting. Happy birthday to Italian-based Ferruccio Furlanetto. And in 1971, it was the first performance of Benjamin Britten's TV opera, Owen Wingrave, which premiered on the BBC in England and NET in the US. And that's your two-minute drill. That was a little bit of Teresa Braganza live from 1970, a performance of the Cabaletta of the second act aria Pensa la Patria from Teatro Colón de Buenos Aires with Francesco Molinari Pradelli conducting Braganza, one of the OG Rossini mezzos. I mean, there were so many who... And one sang, of the first to really sing it well. Yes, who sang yeah. that repertoire. But the first who, you, when you heard her sing in those Abado recordings, like, oh, that's how that should be sung. And yeah, made exactly. everybody else in the cast look so oh, bad. I was going to say, that's more this. than you can say for most of her castmates on those recordings. Pache <laughs> yeah. Luigi. She, she set a new standard uh, only to be improved by singers like Balza and Bartoli. Jonas Kaufman, I didn't get what he was trying to say. Was something lost in trans? I don't know. I just he got what he was trying to say. He was saying that uh, we need to be more audience friendly. In the end, that well, the the crisis spoken like a German. Yeah, the crisis has to do with audience attendance, and we are scaring away audiences by uh, basically with Reggae Theater. Uh, Of course, I I, I think that he wants the Reggae Theater is the thing. No, no, he's. I I think he wants it to be more approachable. Because I think he said no. He says, uh, "Hang on, let me. I'm gonna look look it up here. Okay. I'm Google translating right to German here." Well, that would be accurate. I mean, <laughs> he, hasn't he says he had his wires crossed before, though. I feel. Yeah, you never quite know what he's saying. Uh, he says, "In the golden times before the pandemic, we didn't pay attention to entertaining people." Now, I would argue, uh, from a literary perspective, uh, that the golden times would refer to the Reggie Theater times. But who can say? It's Jonas Kaufmann. I always think it's very funny. When European singers, like very European singers, like Mr. Kaufman, uh, start complaining about opera attendance in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of Germany, and meanwhile we here in the U.S. are like, we wish you had we had your problems, buddy. Um, but uh, you know, what do I know? I don't have a Christmas album, unlike Jonas. So I think he's got me. So you're really not point. qualified to comment. I really am. I really not. <laughs> Good for Klaus Gut. He has done some amazing productions. I think I've seen another Zalame that he did. They are so thought-provoking, beautifully staged and designed. They're just, they are enjoyable and they're Regie Theater at the same time, which is hard to do. But most of all, the man took a stand and he didn't accept that award. And I just think that's awesome. They couldn't even come up with someone else to give it to. 
Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the Marinsky Theater general director, too. I think we already kind of knew that he was against the war, but posting very publicly about it. Like, th- this is, you know, a risky thing to do, yeah. you know, especially yeah. – uh, and I, we've talked about this before uh, – not just opera, but the Marinsky in, in Russia is so closely yeah. tied to the core of power, you know. Um, that is being the opera company in St. Petersburg. Yes, exactly. Uh, it, it is very much it, – it's not like a, a theater in the U.S. that's kind of independent doing its own thing. It is close. It is – you think of one, then you think of the other. You th- And I think it's really, really significant to uh, post something like that, and I hope he's okay. <laughs> Ashley, Will Liverman. I think he's the new James Dara because he is everywhere. (laughs) He is everywhere. I mean, good for him and and great for the world of opera because I think he's got so many great things to say and sing about. He's got an incredible instrument. He's terribly creative. I can't wait for Factotum, but now he's getting awards and he's going to be able to make it rain with all the money he's getting from said awards. I'm, I'm very excited for him, but he's closely encroaching into Dara territory in terms <laughs> of market set. Ah, Dara territory. I want to go back uh, to just Santa Fe season. Yeah. Uh, just to be clear, M Butterfly was supposed to have premiered before the pandemic. Right. Uh, yes. So it got, it got pushed into the season, giving uh, playwright David Henry Huang a great summer with that other world premiere that's happening at, I forget where. Uh, at the Red, yeah. 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 And you really want that invite, don't you, Oliver? You're just hustling it, bro. <laughs> Oliver and I are fighting over it. We're we're trying to get in there. It's like a Schauspiel I mean, director. Well, that's true. Also, by the way, just quick point of order: Can Matt Cummings call auctions? Because I would totally watch that and listen to that. So I, 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 I only recap auctions. I just need you to list off things and tell me how expensive they are. <laughs> Let us wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call is how we take you home each and every time. We're going to start with Oliver Camacho. Uh, for those of you who are in the Dallas area, friend of the show, Kimon Mara, will be starring in the opera Apollo and Hyacinth, one of Mozart's first stage works uh, with American Baroque Opera Company, which also stars a gorgeous gorgeous countertenor named Michael Skarka. So I'm jealous of all of you who are going out to see that, but go check it out. Matt Cummings. As always, on the lookout for new recordings coming out, and next week there's a new Traviata with Lisette Oropesa and Renee Barbera that I will be listening to. I just want to, actually, I want to jump onto that because I was looking for that recording. I thought it was already out, and I found new Lisette Oropesa content on Spotify. I think they just released, (gasps) they just dropped two albums of hers that were previously unpublished. And she sings sings Prendi in recital, the Donizetti uh, Cantilena from Elixir. It's sublime. Check that out. Weston Williams. Uh, I, I, my good call is uh, right now. Detroit Opera is uh, uh, bringing back uh, Anthony Davis's X, the Life and Times of Malcolm X, and uh, this has been one of one of those record one of those operas that I've wanted to get my hands on for a long time. Recordings are out of print; it's kind of hard to find. Um, but it is having a moment right now, and it, it it's he's never been more deserving, I think, of the spotlight, um, both for the story and for the composer himself. And I and uh, there's a nice article in the New York Times talking about uh, about uh, uh, Anthony Davis and the uh, uh, and the opera, and it makes the uh, the case for a bunch of new recordings coming out hopefully soon, given the greater exposure for the opera. And let me just say that's what we need. We need more recordings of operas by BIPOC composers, and uh, now is the time. Let's do this. I'm so excited for Anthony Davis. Ashley Hardgrave. If you, like me, love bizarre European things, then you were clearly glued to your television this weekend for the finals of the Eurovision Song Contest. It was so great this year. Congratulations to the Kalush Orchestra of Ukraine for pulling it out with the popular vote. All of Europe banded together. All I have to say is Slava Ukraini. Lastly, if you haven't watched this YouTube piece on the Savannah Bananas, 
you definitely should. This is a minor, minor league baseball team that has an utter genius marketing tactic. Savannah Bananas, check it out. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell, normwaddell.com. If you're watching on TDO, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, get that full show, Stitcher and Spotify. You click follow. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, just hit the plus sign. Send that voice memo, email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. Get your voice heard, get your OBS beer coaster, your OBS lapel pin, just for sharing your own hot take. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio and video editor is Weston Williams. For your co-hosts, Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about operas. You apply for all those jobs that Larry Edelson left as crumbs. We're back with an all-new show next week, the series finale for the Dallas Opera Network. Don't worry, podcast is going strong, and you're going to get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more spitballs. Join us.